0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, June 14th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as via Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or on the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. And now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, as well as TuneIn. With us today is Brandon Williamson, with whom I will be discussing his poem Battleship and my poem Mental Block. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual events taking place during the week of June 15th. On Monday, June 15th, from 8.30 p.m. to midnight Paris time, Spoken Word Paris will be hosting its open mic with the theme of Growing Pains, this time featuring Jose Padua via Zoom. You can find out more information about that on facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 1152-869-518-405-092. 1152 869 Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 1152 869 518 from 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting the sixth of its 20-episode, the Nuijinan Wind Carriers Challenge, in which anyone can participate, but only indigenous youths between 8 and 25 years old are eligible for the prices, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information about that at facebook.com forward slash events, four slash six four four five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero. Again that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash six four four five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero from APM Central Time. Frizzy Productions will be hosting its weekly Poets Playground open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, June 16th from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its first draft open mic for those between 13 and 23 years old. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its weekly Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, The Tiny Cover will be hosting its Virtual Poetry Night via Zoom. You can find out more about that and sign up at thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. From 7.30 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Joss Smalls, Mr. Wiz, and Beach City Poetress will be hosting their Poetry Threesome via Instagram Live. First hour at Coach Ja Smalls. Second hour at Mr. Wiz. Third hour at Beach City Poetress. Again, that's first hour at Coach Ja Smalls. Ja is J A H Smalls, S M A L L S. Second hour at Mr. Wiz, that's M R W I T Z. Again, that's M R W I T Z. And third hour at Beach City Poetries. On Wednesday, June 17th, from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting its Nuijinan's Got Talent showcases for indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old via Instagram live. You can RSVP to participate at Nuijinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. TV. From 8 p.m. Eastern time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy and open mic via Instagram live at a poet Named Superman. Again, that's at a poet named Superman. On Thursday, June 18th, from 7:30 to 9:30 p.m. Berlin time, Berlin Spoken Word will be hosting is open mic with the theme "Excitement" via Zoom. And you can find out more information about that at facebook.com/events/261117481769. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 261 From 8.30 to 10.30 Eastern Time, Spit That DC will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram live at spit that DC. That's at S P I T D A T. DC. Again, that's S-P-I-T-D-A-T-D-C From 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific Time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T From 7.30 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time, District 4 Poetry will be hosting its monthly poetry open mic via Zoom, and you can find out more information about that at facebook.com forward slash district4poetry. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash district4poetry. Four is the number four. From 9 to 10.30 p.m., Kevin Wong will be hosting his Introverse Paradise open mic via Zoom. You can find out more information at kevinwangcomedycom forward slash shows. Again, that's kevinwongcomedy.com forward slash shows. On Friday, June 19th from 7.30 Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 poetry. Again, that's 10,000 poetry all spelled out. From 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific Time, DNA Hunter directs The Normal Show, a queer performing arts showcase featuring, among others, Sean Avery, one of our past poet guests. This will take place via Facebook. You can find out more about that at the s h o w dot ticket leap.com forward slash donations forward slash details again that's the hyphen nq rm dash show dot ticket forward slash donations forward slash details From 9 to 10.30 Pacific Time, Kevin Wong will once again host his Introvert's Paradise open mic via Zoom at kevinwongcomedy.com forward slash shows. On Saturday, June 20th, from 5 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Speak Poet Saturday on Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Sean Avery and Mike Maven will be hosting their Pillars of Persona online writing workshop. You can find out more information at Skinny Black Sean. That's S K I N N Y B L K S E A N. Again, that's S K I N N Y B L K S E A N. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Beach City Poetress will be hosting her Sip and Recite Sensual Erotic Poetry Night via Instagram Live, at Beach City Poetress. Again, that's at Beach City Poetress. And now let us turn to our Poet Guest of the Week, Brandon Williamson. Hi, Brandon. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. I'm happy
1: to be here. Good to be here today.
0: Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming uh, onto our show, and uh, I really appreciate this, especially during this these chaotic times. Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot
1: to say about it, there's a lot to be said about it, and um, I feel like it's probably going to end up being covered anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so as well. It's kind of unavoidable, and... In a way, it's good that it's unavoidable because obviously with so many chances that our society has given, nothing has been learned.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, there have been a lot of protests that protested the exact same thing. and, And, you know, the voices just haven't been heard because the message always gets skewed into something entirely different in this particular case. I don't think the messages can be skewed any differently. So I think, like, the word is getting out. It's just a matter of those who are willing to listen, you know, and those who are willing to listen to the voices that have been crying out for over a decade.
0: Yeah. Well, more than that, right? I mean, I, it reminded me of Ronnie King's um, and the riots that's associated with his, after his beating. Because then yeah. you know, I, I think that was the... Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that was the last time that um, pretty much all hell broke loose, like, now. Yeah, there, there have been a couple of other times, but uh, um, that
1: one was definitely a drastic point in history. And primarily, um, a, a lot of this gets a lot of attention because, when it's, especially when it's obvious and blatantly caught on video and still nothing is done, they, people lose trust in the system itself. That's supposed to hold everyone accountable. And what happens? Imagine, you know, living in a place where someone can feel like they have the free will to treat you however they want, and to, you know, do whatever they want to you, and no one is going to hold them accountable, um, even the system that they're in. And so, therefore, why? What options do you have at this point, other than to come together? and speak out and cry out before things get violent. And ultimately, that's a lose-lose situation for you anyway. Um, But ultimately, when you're in a lose-lose situation, in a losing situation anyway, then you really don't have much else to lose.
0: Right.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Right. In any case, uh, we're here to talk about poetry. Well, let's let's go to poetry, yeah. <laughs> even though, obviously, again, really, we don't exist in a vacuum, and this is going to affect how we express ourselves. You brought with you today your poem, Battleship. Before we turn to that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so my name is Brandon Waynes, and I live in Buffalo,
1: New York. I'm the host and founder of the Pure Ink Poetry Slam, and say, yeah, Slam that happens here in Buffalo, um, where we get together every two weeks and do open mics, and, you know, I basically try to give people a voice to, uh, share their stories, to perform poetry, to do storytelling, comedy, whatever kind of piece your interest, and, you know, have fun and engage your audience while you're doing it. Um, I have a theater background, I graduated from SUNY Fredonia's theater program, and, um... My entire history has been growing up in theater mm. um, with also a music background as well. So anything in the arts with the exception of visual art, right. um, I'm pretty pretty good in. Um, right. Otherwise, my, my goal has always been the reason why I've been in Buffalo is to be a doorway or a portal for people to be able to express themselves right. um, and also to give that opportunity to someone who might need it. And that's what I've been kind of focusing on most of the time that I've been here.
0: Right. All right. Cool. That's great. Y- you moved to Buffalo, then. Is that correct?
1: No. Born and raised. Um, oh. Okay.
0: It's just that's just the reason why I stayed here. Oh, um, sorry. Missed I've, that. I've had like visions of like
1: moving to New York City and pursuing mm-hmm. acting, or right. you know, going down to Georgia or something along those lines. And, but Buffalo's home. Buffalo <laughs> is one of those towns, and one thing I, appreci- I appreciate about Buffalo is that the the cost of living here mm-hmm. is so low that an artist can live here. Probably mostly off of their art
0: right right that's great yeah because so, you know as you as yeah. you notice especially being so close to new york right it's it's a wonderful city it offers a lot of um, opportunities at the same time the cost of living is so high that you know I, I personally know doctors who cannot afford to have decent housing so
1: right yeah and like yeah like a good solid middle class job here you thrive is also pretty um, high up on the list when it comes to poverty. Mm. At the same time, a lot of the people who, you know, live in those impoverished neighborhoods, they still get to experience a lot of what's good about Buffalo. They get to experience a lot of the best of Buffalo until, of course, you know, property starts getting bought up and gentrification kicks in and everything like that, which is inevitable and will be coming fairly soon to Buffalo.
0: Right, right. That's always the fear, right? Because um, I think that's why a lot of artists... I knew before I moved from New York that people were moving upstate, basically along the Hudson, because the the cost of living was cheaper there. So the art scene was just moving further north. Yep. And in terms of this open mic that you do every every two weeks, have you moved it online now with COVID? Yep,
1: yeah. we have moved online. So we do our Pure Ink Poetry Video Slam. Um, we don't this- just just about every two weeks. Um, usually it's the second and fourth Sunday of the month. Okay. Um, I reach out to the poets, and they sign up for the Slam is up, and then they have to send me a video of them performing their poem. Oh. And then we uh, compile the videos themselves, and then we host it in a regular Slam format on Sunday where we have five judges in the audience who are in the Facebook watch party that we would do it in. Right. And uh, we go from there. So we pull the videos together. I put them all in one video put it in a Facebook watch party, and then, you know, we judge it like a regular slam.
0: Okay, okay. One of the wonderful things um, that's come out of this isolation is that many people have discovered um, poetry events taking place all over the country, if not all over the world. And I've definitely taken advantage
1: of the fact that a lot of these things have been going on virtually, because that's how I've been able to connect with a lot of different uh, poetry organizations and scenes around the country. And I actually performed in a couple of events in Berlin. Um and oh, music nice. that as well, so it's been really good.
0: Wonderful! Wow. Do you speak German, or is was that an English uh, speaking event? It was <laughs>
1: Berlin. Funny enough, is primarily an English city.
0: Yeah, um,
2: yeah. Because
1: they have a lot of transplants. A lot of people come from different countries and they go to Berlin itself. Uh, I went to Berlin last year. Um, mm. um, I went to visit Berlin last year just to just as a trip, and I ended up competing in a poetry slam there. Mm. um i always try to find poetry wherever i go and i uh, ended up winning the slam and meeting a whole bunch of great new friends cool um who are from all over the world who just moved to berlin
0: right right yeah actually funny enough i was trying to do the same thing because berlin seemed like such a cool place apart from the weather okay but you know you're from buffalo so you're used to it <laughs> but i i mean yeah. i should be used to it as well because i'm from new york but i was just like cold no <laughs> But (laughs) I found out when I was uh, traveling through Germany that apparently, because of the post World War II occupation by the four Allied countries, uh, Germany, and then then later because of the Cold War, uh, Western Germany tends to be primarily a bilingual country, bilingual side of the country. So. I didn't really need to use my terrible German on the one hand. on the other hand, I didn't get to improve my German either so
1: <laughs> my German is fairly non-existent. I tried to do a lingo mm-hmm. uh, beforehand mm-hmm. yeah. and you know I picked up a few words here and there so I was able to um, kind of translate a little bit here
0: and there but otherwise it was it was pretty bad yeah i'm i was using duolingo as well i have to go back to it i I think i actually got decent but that was actually after i went to germany um i had gone to austria previously and because austria tends to be less english dominated um i had to use my german which i picked up mostly just using like lonely planet and it got it got all right, you know, to, to the point where I didn't have to starve or sleep on the streets. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> back to your poetry. Um, so I was wondering, since you seem to be so versatile, what made you decide to go into poetry, and when did you do it? So in college, there's, there's the, it's a funny story, but there's
1: two there's the story. Um, in college. I used to watch and listen to Defoe Jam back in the day, mm. and it was really cool. It was an HBO show that I had discovered when I was kind of just sitting in my apartment, in my uh, off-campus apartment one day, right. and I realized, you know, it's really cool. I should try this.
2: Right. <laughs> and so I figured having theater as the background, the good thing about theater is that it teaches you storytelling. It teaches right. you how to kind of like become somebody else and become an
1: entirely different character, but What I saw in this particular art form was that you get a chance to tell your own own story in your own words, and you can still make a show of it. You can still, you know, uh, um, because obviously my my poetry style is more performance poetry or spoken word, Uh, um, so you can still, like, you can still make a show out of it, and now you get to tell your own story. So I kind of took advantage of it, Um, Mm -hmm. and I figured I would, one night I was, she'd been working to get the scholarship for this competition kind of thing. So I figured I'm here. And, you know, I've listened to this poetry thing, so I might as well just write something. So I figured I'd write a poem. And I wrote a poem called Sunky Lie. It was, like, based on Rosa Parks, it was kind of like saying stand up and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it that night, and I turned it in the morning when she turned in her painting, and I won the scholarship. (laughs) So, yeah, that relationship didn't last. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, we both got some degree out of it, i like to think. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that was my first, first ball. Um
2: mm-hmm.
1: And then, like, they had me perform it, and my theater background kind of helped me perform it, and that's when I ended up winning a scholarship and re- realized, okay, there might be something to this. Let me, uh, let me see what, what else I can kind of say in this part form, and I just dove in with it. Right, right.
0: I can feel my heart break a little bit for your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask, did she end up going to school on another scholarship, I hope? No, um, it was, a, it
1: was one of those scholarships while you're already there, so it was, um, uh, she, she didn't. No, no, she didn't. <laughs> There's nothing else I
0: can say to save the situation. She didn't, no. No. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Um, well, but I, <laughs> I hope she still ended up get, getting, you know, like, her degree and everything. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. She, she got what she needed
1: out of it. She, she finished. She finished off, awesome. though. Okay. She, she was, she's, she'll be her.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. <laughs> wow. 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 Um, so. <laughs> um. It's really wonderful to to always hear how people come to poetry. And this is definitely one of those wild, wonderful uh, stories and very unexpected ones as well. So if you don't mind reading your poem for us, I think when people think about performance poetry, they might not envision one with such heavy, like wonderful metaphors as the one you're about to read for us. So if you don't mind doing that.
1: Oh, thank yeah. Alright. Uh the poem is called Battleship. And I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let it introduce itself in a second. In third grade, I used to have visions of the future. Diagnosed as a nine-year-old imagination, my visions evolved into repeating scenes of my parents' death. Realizing they can't just brush this off as unimportant, much like we do black trauma. I was taken to a therapist who taught me the art of detachment, erecting a wall between yourself and the things you care about in order to function in order to survive we never got to the end of the lesson because a board game on a shelf caught my eye battleship a teachable moment he taught me how to play you build a wall between yourself and your opponent set your ships, shoot your shot and survive and it sounded a lot like masculinity at the time battleship a game of virility with a secret See, the more ships I have on the board, the more likely they are to become a liability. So I remove all the other ships from my fleet. I call it security. It's less likely that life will hit something that is near and dear to me. Detachment is convincing myself that I'm doing it for their protection. I've been told that I see the world through sunshine and rainbows. And isn't that just as masculine? To experience so much negativity from the world that when a moment is mildly gentle with me, Consider it Novocaine. And in this game, when you see the world through rose-colored glasses, you can't tell the difference between a hit or a miss. And that kind of ignorance is bliss. The attachment teaches you this, that even if you lose, this life is just a game you can dismiss. So, how will you ever learn to heal when the pain from each hit starts to feel real? Masculinity is playing a game of Battleship in front of an audience. Putting on a show like you know exactly what you're doing. When every decision is really just a shot in the dark. Echoes of people behind you who hold your secrets in their eyes. People in your corner with knives in their pockets. Whispering sloppy second guesses in your ear. Miss, if life fires too close to your ship, put on a poker face. Act like you've been here before. Hit. When you hit, you stay silent. Detach from the pain. Tell yourself a story of how it builds character, how you will grow from it. Hold back the water coming in from the damage. Don't let it well up. Swallow it down and man up. Stand tall and sink slow. You always fire back. Reciprocate the damage. You see, four hits. When the water begins to rise. You will begin to sink. You need to abandon ship. You're stranded in the middle of the ocean. It's in that moment that you wish you had another ship to call. The sea is riddled with shipwrecks, just like you. The ocean is the only one close enough to give the call. Maybe I never should have learned how to play this game after all. Thank you. Uh
0: Really appreciate this. And this is one of a few poems that I've heard you perform. They keep the theme of talking about a game, talking about one particular thing, and then obviously going into another thing. As I said before, you did the poem. Usually when I hear spoken word, I don't hear one poem that goes with a metaphor throughout, a consistent metaphor throughout the poem. It's usually uh, metaphors, that's on, on one line, and then people go on to another metaphor and another section. They kind of punctuate. So it, it's really different to see your poem where you're basically going. It's it's one poem per metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a form that I, I personally love because it allows you to take something, take a concept that's familiar, mm-hmm. and pull a lot out of it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that's exactly it. And also it shows this familiarity with the concept, right? It's not just touching on something. You're really going into the depth of it. You use that to demonstrate the underlying message that you're trying to, trying to get across. Since I've seen, I've heard three poems of yours that similar in that sort of style, I was wondering is this, one of your dominant styles, um, how do you approach poetry writing? I approach
1: writing in a similar way that I try to approach creativity itself, um, which is, I, it was something called synectics, where you take something, um, that is very familiar and you turn it around into something very strange, or the other way around, where I try to take something that, that might be personal, and then I make it bigger for everyone else to relate to it as well, right. um in my particular writing so you know the thing i always stand on when it comes to writing is you can write something you know
2: super intelligent poetically but if nobody understands what you're talking about
1: then <laughs> what's the point of them reading it what's the point of it um right and so in this case i try to take something that you know if they're familiar with it then they will grow comfortable with it and they mm. will they will start to see all the things that are tied into it because it's, it has a good foundation for something that people are familiar with. So I try to say something familiar and then I make it strange. I do the same thing with a, um, a poem. I know the poem you heard You heard me do spades before. Um, yes. Which is interesting poem to do for a crowd who's never learned, what, who doesn't know how to play spades because then I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> um,
2: but
1: at the same time, I try to find something that a lot of people are re- really familiar with yeah. in order to tie my message in there. So... You know, I do the same thing with uh, Mario, Super Mario. I have a poem called Hero, mm. um, where it's it's from the perspective of Super Mario himself. Cool. Um, but it's an entirely different spin on the Mario story. Right. Because um, I don't see Mario as a hero because
0: right. of the chain of events that happen throughout the entire game. Right,
1: right. He seems more like a psychopathic soccer killer. Um,
0: <laughs> I haven't played, so no spoilers, please. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you ever played it yet? Yeah. Well, you we got to get on that. But, um, yeah, so
0: um, it's something that everybody's familiar with. Right. But And they play it, but it's just taking something familiar
1: and then changing the narrative to make it something that's not familiar so that people can gather something from it. Right. And you can really play from it or you can learn something from it. Right,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. That's very cool. When did you write this poem?
1: I wrote Battleship uh, last year. Mm. I wrote it in a, like, I had a little writer's block, I was a so I just had this like, the doorways, the gateways open, and I spit out like four poems at once. I mean, yeah. um, Battleship was one of them, um, okay. and it made me think about, and yeah, I, I, I wanna say it was sometime early last year, mid mm. to early last year, okay. um, when I was going through a, um, I recently had a pretty good time falling out with one of my best friends, mm. and in this, in our conversation, she asked me, how is it so easy you to just, you know, to turn it off, to shut people out. Mm. Um, detachment. How is so you yes. to detach from, you know, people and so on and so forth? Right. Yeah. And it is something that I, it was a skill that I've had for a long time, which is being able to cut, cut like, the way I feel for something off mm. to just, in order to, like, be able to function and do what I need to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and kind of getting caught up by things, and it's kind of gotten me through. Mm -hmm. A lot of decision making, in a sense. And when it came to me and her as friends, she was asking that in relation to her, and I I never really thought about it until she mentioned it. And that's when I realized. When I thought about my third grade therapy sessions, Mm -hmm. and that was the that was the lesson that was taught that he taught me in order to be able to get through the rest of third grade
2: Mm -hmm.
1: was you know being able to you know. So when she mentioned that last year in our in our conversation, mm-hmm. um, that was when I realized that it was something I was kind of. It didn't come naturally. It was something I was taught and trained. Right. And, and I, entirely, I entirely forgot that that happened. And right. There was something I entirely blocked out. So that's right. what brought forth the entire idea of the battleship poem itself.
0: Right. Right. Speaking of that, I. I th- thank you for anticipating my next question, uh, which was like, was this autobiographical? So, can you tell us a little bit about the that experience when you were nine, when you were in third grade?
1: Yeah. Um, so, when I was in third grade, I was in uh, elementary school. And every once in a while, it's it, it kind of hit me kind of like a barrage. Um, but I would have these, I guess you could call them episodes or a, a series of just daydream, where I would just see my parents dying in different ways, mm-hmm. and also it wasn't, like, any gruesome deaths or anything like that, it was just the concept of them dying, mm-hmm. uh, um, that kind of hit me over and over and over again, and I would always bust into tears, right. um, so in class, I would just be, like, kid that just bust into tears out of nowhere, and I'd have to stand outside, and the teacher would kind of, like, you know, check on me, make sure I'm okay, right. which over time wasn't productive, so they called my parents, right. um, and, you know, I told my parents what was going on, and that's when they kind of just took me into the session itself so I would say it lasted for about three weeks or so Mm -hmm. um when they uh, took me to the therapy session Mm -hmm. I went in not knowing what was going on and the guy was asking me questions and I just answered them regularly and it was kind of boring until I saw Battleship on his shelf Mm -hmm. um and and in seeing Battleship on the shelf all I wanted to do like, after the first session, because, you know, we were poor, we, we weren't poor, but we weren't, like, like we didn't have enough to, like, be able to just get, like, board games you see on TV and stuff like that, so, right. us not having the money, I never played Battleship, but I always wanted to, I saw the commercials on TV, right. and I just wanted to try this game, and it was seemed, like, really cool, so I just wanted to get through the session right. in order to play Battleship <laughs> after that,
2: uh-huh.
1: right. and so, like, I would try to end the session as fast as I can by saying, yeah, I'm fine, nothing's wrong, blah, 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 and um, so on and so forth, I remember the first session that he was talking about was kind of teach me, talking to me about, you know, this and, you know, being able to kind of function and everything like that, right. and after a while, I was like, okay, that's really cool, and then I saw the battleship, by then, I was already checked out, right. so the thing about it was, although the therapist taught me about detachment and everything like that, I didn't second half of the lesson which was the part where you learned when to reattach or bring things back together yeah. or you know address them so in mm-hmm. my life for the longest time I, I was able to detach from something and yeah. then just leave it
2: right
1: and so that's why this poem became a battleship poem was yeah. because of the battleship in the therapist's office and when it all came together then that concept just kind of carried over with me. right
0: right and it worked really well i, I love how you um And it interweave the game, and I mean, I I, I'm one of those people who unfortunately never play Battleship, although I did see the commercials. Um, I mean, Uh when you talked about the commercial, I was thinking, oh my god! I think I don't think that I've seen a board game commercial for the longest time because you know everything's Uh online now. So it's kind of wild when you mentioned that. Um, What a throwback, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and the other thing is, I, I don't know if you want to go into, I don't know if you you and your therapist ever explore why you were seeing your parents passing away.
1: Yeah, yes. I'm pretty sure we covered it. I honestly don't remember, but I, I want to say it wasn't too too long after my grandpa. I, well, I had like my la- my last grandparents passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I don't, it was, the, it was a lot later than that, but something that was still on my mind, mm. um, the thought of mortality itself, but it wasn't necessarily, it was the thought of never seeing my parents again, is right. um, it, what really, like, really hit me, and so I didn't quite know how to take that, and so, you know, when you, as a kid, you don't really think much about death, but yeah. you do worry about when you're going to see your parents again, mm. and that was something that really stuck with me over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think everybody processed trauma in their own time. So um, I guess that was the time. And, and also, I think I forget when children start understanding mortality, it's pretty young, it might, have, it might be around adolescence. So my, like that nine year, old might be exactly where you would start considering realizing that there is such a thing as death. And I I thought it was really interesting that there is this one line, you say it almost as if it's a throwaway line, but it's really important, especially given the backdrop of what's going on now. You said realizing that they can't brush this off as unimportant, like we do Black trauma. Can you speak Uh about why you decided to put that particular line in there? Because
1: that is also something that is, prevalent that not only um, is done in society by everyone else, but honestly, in many cases in the in our own, my own communities, in the black community, mm-hmm. um, we don't always see trauma as what it is, in many cases. A friend of mine, his name is 10,000, he wrote a poem called Black Trauma, where he talks about how we turn black trauma into fairy tales, mm-hmm. where you, you know, don't really address what really happened to you, you don't really address how that whole thing might have affected you, you just say, oh, yeah, I went through the hardship but then God brought me through without addressing, without acknowledging the fact that that, had, that it happened and it psychologically takes a toll on, on you, mm-hmm. especially as a, you know, especially in a community that, you know, in many cases sees therapy as something that is, in a sense, not of God or something sees therapy or need of therapy as a weakness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so when you, you know, a lot of people just kind of hold on to the trauma over the years and then it manifests in their behaviors later on okay. um and so a lot of times in the black community they just kind of brush it off like oh yeah you know yeah this happened but you know we got through it and now we're on the other side because god brought us to the other side right. um and that's not necessarily helpful uh, for the person who says yeah but i need to talk to somebody about like how this thing affected me and they're like well oh then talk to jesus like that's what like <laughs> It Becomes a, a cycle of very unhealthy behavior. It's a very common thing that we especially in the black community to talk about and need to deal with.
0: Yeah, yeah and and the other thing about this confessional aspect of talk with Jesus about your pain is that God doesn't talk back. So it's almost like accustoming people to being not heard.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, having people not heard or, you know, when someone does listen, they give you the same answer, which is, you know, well, pray about it <laughs> or, you know, yeah, it, it, it's a cycle. It is a cycle. So even, yeah, in prayer, you don't necessarily hear a voice directly and they say, you know, God speaks through his people and then you hear the people and they say, get over.
0: <laughs> right, right. That's not that's not, not the nothing. sort of answer that you're seeking <laughs> necessarily. Uh-huh. And and. And I find that um, uh, when I was reading up and studying about the Holocaust, for instance, right um you know, for people who are going through that sort of trauma on a very consistent basis for a long time, which the black community knows about incredibly well, um because this is going on for like, <laughs> like hundreds of generations, basically uh-huh. is that. You don't have the time to be vulnerable. I, I don't know what you think about that idea.
1: Yeah, because the thing is, you're not, if you're vulnerable, then you're not valuable. And that's the that's the problem that the, I don't even say the capitalist world, but the world itself kind of gives people is the more vulnerable you are, the less valuable you are because if you take time worrying about yourself, you can't deal with everything else the world has to deal with. Right. Um, and that's just not...
0: Yeah yeah, and especially <laughs> especially for a community that's experiencing trauma over and over and over again, being vulnerable becomes a luxury, right? Because if you have to be in something of a safe space in order to have the time and the space to feel that vulnerability. But if you never feel safe, then being vulnerable becomes such a again a luxury item.
1: Almost. Yeah, and that's honestly that's something I I will not speak for the entire black community, but mm-hmm. I know a good amount of the people that I know in the black community. We don't believe that safe space exists for us, mm-hmm. just in general, and in many cases they won't exist for a lot of people because of the society. I mean, I, I actually spoke about this before, um, and yeah, having the luxury of having a space safe space is good, but the problem is you need a space where you can feel safe to talk about the things you need to talk about to feel and to be vulnerable and to kind of let your guard down mm-hmm. and the only space you might have that's similar to that is home because you're not around anyone else or unless you're around like you're like if you're like in a relationship you're your spouse or something like that mm-hmm. um, having that kind of space i think a lot of people now are working on trying to build communities like that um, mm-hmm. so that people can feel like they can say whatever they want. But the problem with the communities we have now is that people can't express themselves with an opinion that's opposite of those who are around them or else they're going to be attacked. So, therefore, right. people don't speak up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't try to bring any kind of different perspective to anything. And that's where um, our lack of communication is going on now. And that's why people can't feel safe now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a big thing, especially, in once again, in... My
0: community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do feel like even without that safe space in terms of the physical well, both the physical and the psychological, I feel like perhaps the black community has been channeling that pain into things creative outlets like music and also poetry, spoken word especially, because I hear a lot of pain expressed through spoken word, um, especially from the Black communities. But it's sort of like what you mentioned about your friend, the poet, who talks about um, turning trauma into a fairy tale. It becomes, um, and I just saw somebody comment on that saying Black pain is entertainment. And it becomes entertainment Uh because it's being channeled through like music. Um, Not so much poetry, but performance arts, in some ways.
1: So. Even poetry, you know? No, even poetry itself. You have poetry that manifests its way into music, and it still spins, it's still the same message, it's still a similar kind of story. It's just um, found itself in other medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in a sense, yeah, black pain and trauma has become entertainment, because, I mean, as as a people, we, have, we basically have learned how to take this and turn it into a form of expression, something that we can use to relay our message and, you know, people can really feel it. There's a saying that goes, when you're happy, you listen to the melody. When you're sad, you listen to the lyrics. Mm. Uh, when it comes to music. And usually, like, they, a lot of stuff goes to, to a good beat so that people who are feeling up, they can really connect and just kind of eye out and go with the beat. But those who are, like, those who are feeling introspective, whether that be down or any way, shape, or form, they listen to the lyrics and the lyrics still have a message in them as well, right. um, so it kind of tries to cover both of those sides. Right, music is kind of meant to do that anyway, and it's, it's another one of those forms of expression that, that you really it's necessary in life because it makes a big difference, it, it, it connects to people differently than just about anything else,
0: right? Right, it really does. Whatever kind of music you like, you have subgenres that you use specifically when you're in certain moods, right? You tune into certain, certain kinds of music. Going back to your poem again, I mean, I I noticed that you you are married, so you did find somebody to, you know, at least another ship. But when you talk about your conversation with your friend, this idea of detachment, it almost seemed like she was being more accusatory about the ability to just turn it off, which sometimes can seem cruel, you know, when someone is on the receiving end of it. Yeah. Since you've had that conversation with her, are you working on the reattachment aspect of it what um have you decided to do about it
1: so i i acknowledge that it is a process and it's something where the ball is in my court i mean mm-hmm. i've actually taken that on as a thing but the ultimate cause for this was i had a need i needed to kind of detach and pull away so that i can kind of heal and rebuild myself mm-hmm. um, and take time for myself and i was working on just being able to just separate and do that but the problem was that I wasn't allowed it it felt like I wasn't allowed to do that and I wasn't able to do that and so Mm -hmm. so therefore that was what kind of brought up the conversation of why I'm able to just kind of detach from somebody who I am so close to and I and I I even say to this day like she is one of the best friends that I've ever had Mm -hmm. um saw her before i reached out to you uh before we had this interview (laughs) i just stopped by the studio she was in there um and you know she is she is a treasure as a friend uh Is, but she says she is, it's in my course. So, like, trying to reinforce with her that it's not her fault and that it's something that I just needed. Right. You know, being pulled in every way, shape, or form, I legitimately started getting, I started thinking to myself, like, is this my life? And, mm-hmm. you know, I got some, like, I want to say even some really bad, like, thoughts and things like that when it came to, like, you know, well, not necessarily ending it all, but thinking about ending it all, things like that. Right. And I was just, I was like, how did I get point and right. uh, i thought about all the things that were adding up to where i was and right. i took a break from, cut back and then i went into isolation it was, my goal was to go into a full isolation right. and in order that i had to cut everything else off and try to do what i could to heal and that's where we kind of had it falling out in my methods of cutting everything off right. um we didn't necessarily agree and so we haven't really spoken spoken about it right. um Since then, but yeah, so that's where that whole how can you just cut people off kind of mindset came to, and I realized I was doing it for my own survival, just like in the poem, because I had to.
0: Right, right. But there's an interesting point that you make in the poem, though a, a link, I mean, you particularly called out masculinity, even though obviously this idea of detachment, anybody could be using it to stay shield it from from fear of being hurt. So I I was wondering Uh why you decided to specifically link it to masculinity. Because in a lot of
1: cases that is the perception that masculinity gets as well. People have that perception especially back in the day Mm -hmm. um, and leading up to today which is you know as long as you are cold and as long as you're strong and firm get cold and calculating and you're very logical then that means you're masculine but if you start feeling emotions you start connecting to things then your masculinity gets taken away mm. um and it, and that was something that's why i said it sounds like a lot like masculinity at the time mm. um, is because that there was the per- perception of masculinity at the right, time right. which was you know yes i am the decision maker i'm the leader and you know i'm the cold calculating person and you know i don't make any decisions by emotions and so on and so forth
2: and that was a flawed version of what people learn um right. and then eventually you kind of grow
1: out out of it and you realize that masculinity there's a lot more to masculinity than you know those elements which necessarily aren't necessarily a part of masculinity
0: right right yeah like like he said it's not and and women as well they're they can not only be logical and and scientifically minded or whatnot but also very cold yeah it's it's just a matter of your personality type and and your the multitude of facets that make up a human being you know yeah yeah and it's interesting because I picked up on that when I was going through my poems and that's why I select the one that I wanted to read with you so I'm gonna read that now and we can talk about it So it's called Mental Block. Invade your mind with lightning quickness. Cut through the flesh you conveniently use as a cover, a trap. I'll bet you've never cried in your life. For that, they call you a man. A lack of emotional expressions, not the laughter of happiness, nor the tears of anguish, just portals of insanity forced open by your deluge of unexpressed senses showing me a glimpse of a thought of you. Oh. So I couldn't I can still can for the life of me remember of I mean there's some clues in the words but I can't figure out who I was writing this about. <laughs> <laughs> when did you write it? Oh, like god, a good more than 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah, when I was reading it, because I was just going through my poems and I was like, oh, I think I think this picks up on some of what Brandon was talking about. There's one aspect here in this poem that obviously it's not in yours, which is the first of all, when I was just reading it now, it made me think of Dr. Spock, (laughs) like the last, Uh you know, any emotional extremities it was the logical choice yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but then there's something that comes through which is when i say the portal of insanity so i don't know if if you saw the original star trek it sounds like you probably have the there was one episode where basically spock went insane he totally lost it and i can't remember the rest of the episode i can't remember the premise i can't remember if he was sick or what what it was but But that was the only time that he really sort of allowed his human side to come through because he was half and Uh half Vulcan, half human. And but, you know, it's such an indictment of human nature in some ways. Right. Is that if you don't show your sort of like more subtle emotions, then it comes through flooding through in this very Uh destructive nature.
1: Yeah. And, and that, that's a big thing. Like if you don't really, if you aren't, if you aren't able to let it out from now, that's going to manifest itself in other ways. And that can be something destructive, whether it's violently or just like going crazy or just having an overflow of emotions um, that hit you at once. you don't have practice and training on how to deal with that kind of stuff. And it that's what kind of causes you to break down. And to be honest, my need for isolation, that might've been like a big part of it. That might've been a, fairly significant part of it you know I lived a life where I was so busy mm-hmm. going from place to place and wearing hat to hat to hat figuratively and literally um hat to hat to hat <laughs> that uh-huh. I never had time to you know I never had time to deal with things that were going on right. um and you know I always say the scariest time for a lot of people is when you're sitting at home in your bed at night with your lights up because then you're just stuck there with you and your own thoughts right right and you, have, you have nowhere else to go and deal with them that's why people put the tv on i go under their phones and things like that
0: right right and i think that's one of the reasons that people are so afraid to be alone in many ways and that yeah. and that's what kind of made this physical isolation so scary to face right because we kind of had to for our own survival to be all alone or be only with a very very few close family members and
1: yeah, i found it interesting that even in that case there's a joke they have a joke that there's going to be a lot of people having new babies post like during quarantine
2: right right
1: but on the other end of the spectrum i think this is also called, there's a lot of divorces coming during quarantine as well yeah um, because now that couples are together they realize that, you know, there's nothing else in between them but them and their thoughts and each other, and people realize they just don't like each other, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah. When you're so caught up doing all the other things in the world that you never really pay attention to your partner, you never really pay attention to the things that are close to you or yourself, then, you know, when the world stops and you have nothing but yourself, then what's, what's how's that going to change? So that's what we're looking at now.
0: Yeah. It really is. I read this article that says basically what you just said about, you know, maybe not so much a baby boom is coming rather than a divorce boom. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
0: Because, you know, we, we live in such a, a full life now because of the online virtual world that we can easily be distracted from any issues that we should be facing, but we can push that off because that's, it's always difficult to face your demons, right? So we can, because of all the distractions that are available, all the TV shows that are out there, all the online, the social media, all that, we can really push that away and then work because we're such a society that values, above all, work success, you know professional success Uh it's uh, again another thing that we can legitimately say but i have to worry about my profession whatever to again put off some fundamental personal healing that we need to be doing yeah absolutely
1: and this entire thing is as bad as it is for you know the world for me personally it couldn't have come at a better time Mm only because it did give me a chance to do that healing that I needed, to do the isolation that I needed, right. and I was able to fully commit to it. And I was able to really kind of get back to myself and figure out where my transition, where my change happened,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: kind of like it allowed me to kind of go back to who I am at my core, mm-hmm. at my, my root, without all the other outside factors. And now that I've been able to do that, the goal for moving forward is to figure out how to make it sustainable. Right. Uh, going for internet, lose track of it, and right. uh, one of the things that really was the root of my healing was actually music. Mm. Uh, listening to music from back when I was, you know, a teenager, mm. um, and the stuff that really built like my values and things like that. That's what stuff. That's the stuff that really re- helped me
0: reconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear that because it sounded like you were, you know, at the edge of something really dark, and and I'm glad you had the, we were forced in some ways to find the time to really deal with um, personal, personal pain and trauma. Uh, Are you still in the process of figuring out how to make this, the solutions more sustainable?
1: Yeah, um, and when the world opens up, then I'm going to kind of figure out how to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for right now, now that I am in this place, the my I have a few things that I'm working on, which are, of course, the biggest one that I needed to learn and to enforce is setting the setting of boundaries mm-hmm. between me and the people around me and also just kind of getting in the habit of being able to say no.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I've always been, I get this from my dad, so he's guilty do this
1: too. Um, I've always been in the uh, mindset of if you're in a position where you can't, some help, can't help with something or can't have somebody, then you should. Right. Um, but it just what happens is that becomes a bad thing when you just take on so much on your plate right. um, that you eventually become so necessary to everything around you that you, can't, you feel like you can't step away from it right. or else it'll fall apart. Um, right. And so that was something that this kind of taught me is being able to step away and understanding and experiencing what that freedom feels like mm-hmm. and, and holding on to it, onto it right. with all your might right. um, and you realize that you, you need that time that time is crucial to you right. to your survival so right.
0: that's good that's wonderful yeah I, I think part of being somebody who wants to help and who wants to lend themselves in the betterment of our all of our futures is is sometimes not knowing when we should um, exercise self-care and that self-care actually feeds into being able to better help others.
1: Right. Because as they say, you can't can't pour from an empty cup.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So given the situation that we're in now, the social situation in which kind of forces open the world despite the fact that really we should be social distancing at the same time there are some social ills that just can't wait what are you doing these days in i mean you're doing this virtual slam every other sunday what else are you doing to keep yourself both sane and helpful honestly
1: at this point i am working on creating but I'm I'm trying to change my own personal narrative in a sense, not my personal narrative, but the narrative that I hear often. So I'm working on, I'm creating because in the streets we have a lot of black death. We have you know police killing and you know you know neighborhoods and mm-hmm. all kinds of things like that. So in a lot of poetry, there's also a lot of black death. There's mm-hmm. poems about telling the stories and you know highlighting that police are killing and so on and so forth. The poems about police brutality and What I'm working on now is going in the, uh, I'm working on building a kind of a poetry narrative that talks more about the opposite, going more into black life Mm -hmm. and going more into the the lives that we live so that we don't always have to die in our art. Right. Uh, That's what I'm working on. I'm building that narrative. I'm working on it now uh, with a series of poems that I'm connecting to music because the music background. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to build like a maybe like like a maybe an album kind of thing, but I'm also doing some reading as well and just trying to mix it up honestly. Also connecting around the world, doing a lot of poetry events, and then you know even when the world opens up again, you you'll have a place to go if you decide if you if I find myself in D.C. or if I find myself in you know Berlin or Texas or somewhere like that, I have people who I can connect with and I have a place to go and I have a community who now at the very least knows my name.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I find that that is one of the positives, as you were saying, despite all the unfortunate things that are happening and the death that's surrounding us right now is that we can take positives from it. And I feel very lucky to be able to have the technology available to reach out to people from all across the country, all around the world, and to still maintain our creativity and find inspirations all around to keep writing and keep creating. I want to go back a little bit just to to the poetry to the so one of the reasons I selected my poem was was also because you give your perspective which I feel like my poem was all almost begging for right it's begging for the explanation because the speaker of my poem was basically wondering what the F is going on. Um, I, I don't know if that's what you were hearing from your friend as well, but I felt like your poem in essence gives an answer for it. Yes, yeah, true. And it, it is an answer that so seldom is offered when you find yourself in such a, you know, frustrating situation. Yeah, because, you know, the whole,
1: you know, building a wall uh, between yourself, it's, it is something that, in essence, in many cases, as a youth, it's taught to you, mm-hmm. uh, and also, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, you know, you think about even, like, your superheroes and even, like, your, your heroes in movies and so on and so forth, and, you know, the most masculine people in the world, mm-hmm. still will have this kind of thing about them, this stigma about them, which is, you know... You don't bring emotion into it. You are cold, you're calculating, you're calculating, you make decisions strictly based on logic. And so therefore, you know, Spock gets, Spock and so therefore masculinity must be the absence of emotion. And people make, and it's often that jump that's being made, especially as a kid, there are no real shades of gray. It's either one thing or another as much as your imagination allows it. It's either this is good and this is bad, and then eventually as you grow older, you realize that there's a middle ground. There are a lot of things in the middle. So, for example, as a kid, you learn, don't go in the street. Mm-hmm. And then as older, it's like, oh, well, you can go in the street as long as you look both ways. Right. And then uh, as an adult, you don't even look both ways, you just walk in the street. <laughs> um, and like the same thing kind of work with masculinity, except it doesn't continue to be taught over years. You teach the beginning, and then you people just learn it over time. But people get hurt more and more as you're learning, and that's the challenge. Right. Um, so, you know, you learn that masculinity is this, 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 and this when there's a lot of other shades of gray that go into it and, you know, you don't learn differently so you just play the role right. until eventually you hurt enough people that you realize that you're doing it wrong right. and so on and so forth They're not necessarily doing it wrong but, like, you're doing it in an unhealthy way
0: Right Well, Or people just get the hint that something is wrong but they don't necessarily know what it is and that, that's very uh-huh. frustrating. And going back to what you were saying of your poems, you were talking about hit. You keep yourself from being hit. You keep these emotions, keep the oceans from rising within you. You know, Keep the emotions at bay. At the same time, you have to hit back. You have to kind of... And that also reminded me of all these, especially uh, these action movies, right? It's always some incredibly traumatic event happens to the hero usually his family gets killed or when you're ta- talking about i forgot his name Oh, keanu Reefs latest character oh, john. john wick yeah uh, you know his dog gets killed so uh, you know whatever it is it's basically the one some of the most traumatic things happen to the hero and instead of going to therapy which really we sh- we should have those heroes do they end up killing a bunch of people. Uh-huh. And it's just some of the most unhealthy reactions that's being portrayed. <laughs> it, one, of the, one of the movies that
1: actually uh, makes me laugh with that is a uh, Bad Boys 2. Have mm-hmm. you seen Bad Boys 2?
0: I don't think I saw Bad Boys 2. I saw one, if I remember correctly. Yeah,
1: Bad Boys 2 was within... Um, with hi La and they actually it's funny because in the beginning of the movie they go through this whole thing but they actually the entire police department goes through a therapy they go through therapy <laughs> so you can see them like exercise like who in this whole thing um, <laughs> well, of course there's a movie obvious movie uh, parody of therapy but mm-hmm. like it's like um you can see them talking this stuff through and it's like it becomes a, a hilarious kind of Point between, like, Mike, who's Will Smith's character, who's, like, all action, and he got nothing out of therapy because, you know, his therapy wasn't productive, and mm-hmm. Martin Lawrence, who's like, no, I'm a peaceful person, and we need to process this stuff, and they go back and forth, and that's what they kind of, we you laugh about <laughs> it, and they joke about that whole thing, um, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: It's, it's, it's a fun, for
1: action movies, I can imagine, like, like watching John John Wick, and then, like, killing his dog, and then
0: him just going to therapy and then a moving ending. Yes, I think if that was the second addition to John Wick, I, I think, obviously, his fans would just throw a fit. But yeah. but <laughs> on the other hand, I think he would have had a totally different following. It would have been, a, a you know, like, one of those cult hits or something, because it would have been so yeah, yeah. weird. Such a random ending to that, right? And which, in real life, and and this is what kind of how Hollywood take advantage of us, right? Take advantage of the worst in humanity, in some ways, is that it channels that anger and make it into a, a action movie that gets us to dig money out of our pockets collectively, a lot of money. Uh-huh. At the same time, it it also makes fun of something that's really useful, like therapy. And then yep. all of us just continue, continuously become, be, or remain traumatized and thinking that it's not okay to go to therapy. It's not okay to talk this out and maybe not kill people or, you know, not <laughs> maim others. Because unfortunately, this is still lashing out is still one of the things that we are taught is especially for men is okay just looking at how the the president is dealing with what's going on how you know how this happened it was it's about lashing out of fear to kill somebody And, uh, and that, that's
1: one of those childlike things that I was that I was talking about before, which is, you know, back in the day, they used to, you know, back when you're in elementary school, and there was some kids who would like, you know, a kid would hit a kid, and then the kid would cry to the parents, and the parents would, you know, say, oh, I'm so sorry this happened, or something like that, but most parents would be like, listen, if they, they hit you, you hit them back, right. and then they won't hit you anymore. Right. Um, and that was a very, a very basic thing, that parent, and then they said, if you get in trouble, then I'll take care of it. Right. Um, That was a very basic thing that you learned, once again, in the world of masculinity. And it was something that was taught for everybody. So they said, you know, no matter who it is, if they hit you, you hit them back. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now what happens is we're in a world where a lot of people might get hit emotionally and they still hit back in other ways. Mm -hmm. Or they'll hit back emotionally or they'll hit back physically. And they still take that very, very base, you know, thing that don't go in the street based rule and they just apply it to everything because it's what's been taught to them by in many cases home right 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 well yeah Yeah. they don't learn how to deal with that stuff like for example this is something i worked really hard to get out of the mindset of and this is why i try not to engage in facebook arguments and things like that (laughs) like even trying to talk anything simple on in any kind of conversation the first first thing i try to do instead of just like oh they said something that i don't agree with so i'm going to hit them back with something they don't agree with mm-hmm. is i got to figure out where can i connect with this person where can i find out where their education went wrong right. or where can i find out where we're going in separate directions so i got to i got to like do a dive into them to figure out what got them to the point that they're at because you know the people that we deal with today especially like if you have if you deal with people who you know have don't know how to deal with emotions or people who kind of break down or Mm -hmm. people who just kind of lose it, Mm -hmm. they don't get there on their own. You know, they don't get there by themselves. No. You know, there's usually a lot of things that make up how they got to where they are. Right. And, you know, if you are able to kind of take time to really understand that, you might be able to figure out where their perspective is. Mm -hmm. And then you might be able to communicate with them and change it. And that's why I am working on that exact kind of role when it comes to this situation and the process that we're dealing with now. Right is trying to find out where people are going wrong, where the disconnect is so we can help connect it so that they can understand. Because yelling and arguing back and forth it, to people who aren't listening is not going to get anything. But, you know, yeah. doing things to bring awareness to it will at least force them to ask the questions.
0: Right, right, yeah. And, and it's always hard, right, when you're in the community that you that's been forced to deal with the trauma and then you're also tasked with remaining calm. and and trying to find the common ground when maybe the people that you're trying to find it with is not willing to do that yeah because you know the most
1: important thing isn't necessarily being correct or being right Mm. being effective
2: right Um, right so you know if you're able to effectively do something that
1: could at least help one person see something differently and maybe that can be a domino effect that they can tell someone and it can Put it that way it's a very small domino in the big picture of things, but mm. it's still a domino. Um, yeah
0: and as you said, it, it can be a domino effect and you never know where it can lead because we though we're only seeing from what where we can see right and which is not we can't see as far as we like to always. still, you never know how that one kind act or one act of outreach, how that might affect people even if not today, maybe in the future.
1: Right. Exactly. And also affect how it might affect someone else. They had those commercials where, you know, one person does something kind for somebody and then that person does something kind for someone else and it kinda goes from there. So you never you never quite you know. As long as I think a lot of people just want to feel like they're heard mm. and feel like they're understood, even if they are misinformed. Right. And what's happening is no one is being heard. Instead, people are being hurt, and they're lashing out because they got hit, and then now they're going to hit back, and, you know, we're back in this world again. And the anonymity of social media allows people to do that even more harshly.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, because you you don't have to take personal responsibility um, as much as if you're face-to-face, and and if you're facing Uh with a person, then... No right. matter what, their their humanity is in front of you. So, um. And
1: I have I found that I've had some of the best conversations with people who, even we we have opposing viewpoints and everything like that. I have had the best conversations face to face. Because then, and this is why, even in the workplace, I don't like emails, I don't like phone calls. I'd rather just go to your office. Because, mm-hmm. um, like I said, face to face, and one, you have to deal with me. Um, and also it it allows you to really kind of see each other and you can see someone who really believes what they believe in you can see the passion and conviction behind it and you get to know a person by that Uh, there was also another saying that a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still which is you know if you no matter how much you try to convince somebody even if they say oh yeah you're right you're right you're right they still believe the same thing because you're trying to force your opinion on them, as opposed to, you know, helping them understand why. why uh, or not even opinion. Force your information on them instead of helping them understand why it is, is the way it is. Why right. Why it is the way it is. So some just kind of give in and just let it go.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think people were definitely much more accepting of something that they believe they came up with, than
2: uh-huh.
0: than accepting what somebody else might say, even if you come to the same conclusion. With that, um, unfortunately, we have to end our talk, which has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. It's uh, like a calming oasis in this insanity that's going on. Um, I know, I know, it was calming for me. Hopefully, it was the same for you. So, good, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. So, before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us how we can find you. We can go hear you read and follow you
1: on social media. Sure. Um if you're on anything like uh, Google or Facebook or or like Google or YouTube you can find me at Brandon Williamson uh Poet. b-r-a-n-d-o-n-w-i-l-l-i-a-m-s-o-n uh Poet because apparently there's a lot of Brandon Williams to do a lot of Brandon Williamsons to do a lot of things right. like playing baseball and MMA and so on <laughs> and so forth. So if you write anything poet related poet related thing you'll be able to find me on that. Um right. if you're on Instagram it's uh R-D-F-O-X 21, or Red Redbox 21, without the E, mm-hmm. um, or Pure Ink Poetry. Find me at pureinkpoetry.com, Pure Ink Poetry on, on Facebook, uh, Pure Ink Poetry on everything. So um, wow. you can reach me there as well as pureinkpoetry.com. Cool. Um, I'm also a creativity consultant, so I work with businesses and organizations um, and teach them how to become deliberately creative creators so you don't no longer have to wait for decisions or ideas to come up but yeah. i can teach you all how to do that also creative problem solving and so on and so forth and that's vw creativity but if you want the end all be all of everything brandonwilliamson.us and you can find
0: all of that stuff <laughs> brandonwilliamson.us okay cool Great, yeah. great wonderful thank you i really really again appreciated the time you took to speak with me you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on social media via Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. And now aside from our website and SoundCloud, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast via Apple Podcasts Stitcher as well as TuneIn. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you continue to keep yourself safe and healthy, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.